Hello, Brain Allies. You're listening to Brains Out Loud, where we talk about important topics surrounding mental health, from our personal life to our work life and everywhere in between. Our goal is that through these conversations, we can help others prioritize mental health on an equivalent level to physical health. This is your host, Juliette speaking, and today we are here with Dr. Sandra Scheinbaum. Dr. Scheinbaum is the founder and CEO of Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. She is a clinical psychologist and has been in the field for over 40 years. She is a positive psychology expert, the author of Functional Medicine Coaching, Stop Panic Attacks in 10 Easy Steps, and How to Give Clients the Skills to Stop Panic Attacks. In her free time, she is a ballet dancer, a yoga instructor, a podcast host for the podcast, What the Funk, and produces off-Broadway plays. I mean, really, what can't this woman do? Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, to that, it is such a pleasure to be here. So there are so many things that I'd love to pick your brain about, but today let's start by discussing the disruption to normalcy that citizens of the world are facing right now. This pandemic has had a serious impact on mental health, and many of those who have not experienced mental health issues are facing them right now for the first time. Can you tell me from your perspective what you see being some of the biggest mental hurdles people are facing right now because of these unique circumstances and what initial steps they might be able to take to in order to persevere? I think that one of the major issues has to do with isolation and loneliness. We knew before the pandemic that loneliness was an independent risk factor for cognitive decline, for emotional disturbances, for physical decline. It shortens your life. It's as powerful as smoking in terms of being a risk factor, and particularly for the elderly who are often very alone. And so this experience that we've all been living with has really exacerbated the loneliness because people who would have social outlets, they would gather with their community. It was a reason to live. It was a reason to look for something to look forward to. If something was not going well at work or at home, well, I can go have lunch with my friends. We'll celebrate someone's birthday. There's a wedding coming up, a celebration, a holidays we'll have, we'll be with our family. For many people, all that's been taken away and they're isolated. And so what can we do about it? Well, we can be thankful for technology because I can't imagine what this would have been like if we didn't have Zoom and ways of connecting online. Uh, so we're encouraging people to gather as much as they can and still have that community. So as an example, I've been in a book club for almost 20 years and we still meet once a month over Zoom and it's not exactly the same, but it's better than nothing. And uh, we train our coaches to do group coaching that can be done remotely to bring people together because people need to, again, be together 
in community. There are many churches, synagogues have adapted. They have services. I have a friend, I just spoke to her a few nights ago and she said, yeah, I live for that. I love to get on my, to participate in those services. It's uplifting for me. That's really nice. That's some really good advice. And, you know, you mentioned the book club. I actually just joined a book club for the first time. And it's been really nice because it's a consistent reason to meet. And I think that consistency is really important. I remember when the pandemic first started, my family was doing, you know, weekly Zoom calls with our extended family and my friends and I were having happy hour, but eventually it gets to a point where life gets in the way and work gets in the way, especially now that people have such a difficult time separating their work life from their home life because people are working from home and people are working late hours. So we just kind of let it go. And now that we have this book club, it's a consistent reason to meet. We have the consistent topics to talk about. It's new, it's exciting. So I think that's really great advice. And I would also encourage our listeners to find that consistency. Yes, I love that. And it's structure. So you know that, well, you have a book that you want to read and you feel connected as you're reading it. And then this discussion that is, as you said, it's on the calendar. And I think people really need that structure in their lives right now. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a history in focusing on something called positive psychology and the anti-fragility mindset. Can you explain to our listeners what those concepts are and how they might be applied in different situations? I'd be happy to. Positive psychology is a field of psychology. It's relatively new. Around the mid-90s, it came into being, although in my career, I was always using a strengths focus. Even back when I was a learning disabilities teacher, we're talking in the 70s, and I would focus on a child's strengths rather than immediately going to what's wrong with you. That's what positive psychology is all about. It's what's right with you and not what's wrong. To have that focus on how do you flourish when you are thriving, uh, what strengths are you using? And positive psychology looks at questions like, how do people flourish? What constitutes a life well-lived? And when circumstances are extremely difficult as they have been for so many, how do you cope with that. And many people will say that it was through adversity that they built their strengths. And to do that, so some people call that post-traumatic growth. And we're really moving beyond that framework to look at an anti-fragility mindset. And I like to think of it as being unbreakable. No matter, like you, you think of, you are not a, a fragile uh, bone china dish you, that you, it's going to shatter to a million pieces, but you are unbreakable. No matter what hits you, you're going to stay standing. You're still there and you can grow stronger because we often need those challenges. If life was 100% easy and everything was handed to us, we may know somebody like that they may not be thriving. They may fall apart the first uh, uh, sign that there's something troublesome, but 
people who learn, we call that school of hard knocks in my day, but you become stronger. And the anti-fragility, how do you get there? It's something that uh, in the positive psychology world, we're referring to now as psychological capital. And that's how you get through the tough times. So we have financial capital, we may have relationship capital, and that all, actually the relationship capital is very much a part of our psychological capital, our community, our ability to lead, to be part of a team, to experience love, to be uh, loved, to extend love, to, have, to be kind to somebody. These are our character strengths. We all have them. We all have the capacity to experience hope. We have the capacity to appreciate humor and laugh. We can appreciate what's beautiful in the world. We can have bravery uh, when times are difficult. We can persevere. And these character strengths are our psychological capital. They don't, unlike a bank account, you can't spend it all and be depleted. We all have them. And that's what we use to get through. And, and studies that have been done of people who coped pretty well under very difficult, dark circumstances were those who used these strengths. And one of them is optimism. There was a recent study that came out showing that uh, during the pandemic, those people who are able to maintain a sense of optimism that things will get better and they don't know exactly when or how but they have that sense they are coping a lot better that makes a lot of sense i know that during the pandemic i personally had a lot of time to sit with my thoughts my fears my weaknesses and my mental illness i personally suffer from depression and live with anxiety and OCD. And despite this year being one of the most difficult years that we have faced as a nation and a world in decades, it was definitely a year of personal growth for me and I think a lot of other people. And through the alone time that I spent in the beginning of that pandemic, I really had to figure out how to face the parts of myself that scared me the most and how to figure out how I was going to twist them into opportunities that could excel my mental agility. So a little bit about what you were talking about, focusing on those strengths. And with that being said, I think I'm still trying to figure out the extension of my character strengths and how to make sure I'm leveraging them to persevere. So can you share with me a little bit of your knowledge, um, further knowledge on character strengths, what exactly they are and how we can apply them on a daily basis. Sure, well, I love talking about character strengths because they are the building blocks for well-being. And these are what we all have and we have them from the time we're little. And so what are they? It's what makes you, you. It's the, what you call upon when you are struggling with something. So for me, uh, I have one of my top strengths has been creativity and paired with appreciation of beauty and excellence. And what does appreciation of beauty and excellence mean? It means that I have this 
sense of being able to like really be in awe, appreciate everything around me. And for example, as we got on this podcast, I noticed your beautiful jacket. Wow, it's such a beautiful shade of red and it looks so stunning on you. Your earrings are great. So it's man-made in that example, but it can also be being in awe of a beautiful sunset, for example, or a majestic uh, scenery. And so that is something that has been my top strength, along with creativity. When I am in my zone, it's when I have discovered kind of a creative way to do something, to solve a problem. We tend to think of creative creativity in terms of artists or people who uh, create original works, but it can be you, are, you found a, a way to put some of the ingredients together now and you are, maybe you never cooked before, but oh, this is fun, I'll add something. Or you went off of a recipe, you, you added something that wasn't in the recipe. There's a creative solution. So that is, can be a strength. Love of learning has always been my strength. So I'm always uh, just wanting to learn more and that excitement of, of learning or mastering something and zest. So I like to kind of move around a lot and, uh, and, and then just kind of this exuberance and joy. So to go further into character strengths, the actual study of character strengths, how did we come to 24? There are 24 character strengths. It's because researchers in positive psychology took a lot of time in the 90s, late 90s, they were looking at what does the literature tell us? By literature, I mean, they went through all the psychology literature, all the theories in psychology, the philosophy, the great philosophers, they looked through all those writings, they looked across different cultures, different around the world, like what different religions, they found there's commonalities. And so it all boils down to these 24 strengths. You may be wondering, well, what are they? How do I know which are mine? And we have all 24, but some rise to the top as our signature strengths. So the ones I mentioned, like appreciation of beauty and excellence, love of learning, creativity, zest, no matter how, where, no matter where I'm at, when I'm in my zone, when I'm feeling great, I'm calling upon my signature strengths. So you can go to a nonprofit, it's called the VIA, V-I-A, character.org. They have a free assessment. You can take that and get some insight into your top strengths. You could give that to people in your family and you could have strengths talk. They have a version for kids. At Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, we are in alliance with the VIA Institute and we train coaches in this strengths model because if you're going to help others, you are helping them through your strengths and that's your personality. Uh, and so you encourage your clients to use their strengths. So you can have strengths talk. You could, at the end of the day, how did I use my strengths? You can observe them in others, which is so, so powerful. See how you blend. So for example, 
uh, prudence might be high on somebody's strength or judgment. Uh, my husband, for example, uh, those are his strengths, or he takes a lot of time deliberating, uh, making a decision, very prudent in terms of finance. I made that zest characteristic, like, oh, I love it, I love it, I'll buy it. And so we've been married 48 years, and that's why uh, we're a good fit, because his strengths have traditionally balanced mine. So a lot of conversation could generate, be generated around this. But first and foremost, why is this so powerful? It's because it eliminates there's something wrong with me. I have a disorder. I'm damaged. You start to look at maybe what I thought was not working is actually a strength. And a, a good example is I often thought I had attention deficit disorder and I, I worked for uh, with kids with learning disabilities and ADD, spent a lot of years doing tests of diagnosing people with ADD. I always thought that was me. I was kind of spacey, disorganized, and impulsive. But I'm starting to, or I did when I started learning about character strengths, see, well, that what I thought was a, a disorder is really an asset, creativity zest, for example. If I didn't have those, I wouldn't have started Functional Medicine Coaching Academy and taken that leap forward uh, to do something uh, starting uh, of this major school. Wow, that is such an amazing way to look at ADHD and to look at ADD and attention deficit disorder and just everything else you mentioned. What really resonates with me is that Character strengths are about the things that we're fascinated with, the things that get us excited, the things that um, we're meticulous about. And I suppose I've always thought, well, character strengths must be, you know, things that we have to be really, really good at, opposed to things that we want to be good at or we just enjoy doing, um, enjoy spending time with. And so I love the way that we can look at something um, as you know whether it's exuberance or it's excitement or it's fascination with with beauty can be a character strength and fascination with beauty can help us connect with others so it's not just having a desire for pretty things but having the ability to share compliments and to share beauty and to spike up conversations because of those things and uh i have adhd and i was always so frustrated with it growing up because I always thought that it was something that made me so different. I had to take my tests in a different classroom as everybody else. And I found myself feeling embarrassed about those things. Um, but as I got older, I realized, wow, well, I'm really good at multitasking. Um, and <laughs> and yes. I, I am really creative and I will start one idea and then I'll get distracted and I'll start another idea, but then I can figure out how to combine them together. So that would be a character strength. And yes, there's ways that it's gotten in the way of my life, but through that I have found resilience and I've persevered and I've turned it into something that's exciting. So I think that that's a really wonderful way to think about it. And, you know, subconsciously, maybe I realized those things, but I've never actually said them out loud or been able to discuss them. So I really encourage everybody that's listening today to check out that character, uh, character strength test. That sounds really interesting. And I bet it, I bet it can really make a lot of people feel pretty good about themselves too, because it seems like it shines people's personal characteristics in a really bright light. 
Uh, I love what you said and the point about what you're good at versus the strengths, because I really want to emphasize that when people think about strengths, like what they think, what am I good at? Or what are you good at? And they're thinking about the mastery of like, oh, she's good at playing the piano or she has a good voice or he's I'm good at sports. Those are skills, but what brings you to them to be good at it? Well, it would be curiosity. Oh, I'm gonna learn to play the piano. And then you persevere as Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours. So what made you good at playing the piano? You kept practicing. It's that grit and that's perseverance. It's not that I'm just naturally good at saying with sports or dance or anything else or writing, you keep, you're curious. And then you have creativity that uh, allows these ideas to unfold. You're a designer, you have that appreciation of beauty, a critical eye for, uh, for color arrangements. And so it's your strengths that then can nurture what you want to do, what excites you, and then that becomes a skill. And so it is, the, again, it's the strengths that are resulting in somebody getting good at something so that people will say, oh, she's good at sports, or she's a great writer, or has a great, is a great dancer, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually made me think of a new question for you, which is partially what we're talking partially related to what we're talking about and, and maybe straying a little off topic, but what about when people feel that they have a strength or a character strength or something that they really love and then they want to turn that into a career and then as they're pursuing that in their career, they start to feel frustrated with it or they kind of have a little bit of an identity crisis because then once they try to pursue it as a career, they decide, well, maybe now I want to do something else. Maybe I'm not actually good at this. Maybe this isn't something that I love anymore. And the combination of uh, adding a passion to work and the ways that that can be really beneficial and the ways that that can sometimes stray off, us off course. And I know in my personal experience, I studied fashion design. And I decided when I was seven that I was gonna be a fashion designer. That was my passion in life, that was my love. My parents said, you're really good at arguing, maybe you should be a lawyer. And I said, no, this is what I, I really wanna do. I promise this is what I wanna do. And I got through my senior year of college in fashion school and I said, this is not what I wanna do anymore. Um, and I had a little bit of an identity crisis because I had been telling everyone my whole life that this was me this is what I was good at and this was my strength in life. And I really had to take a long time off of it before I could start drawing and sketching and finding that love for, for fashion again. And it was a really dark time. So what would you say to those maybe students out there or those who, have, who during this pandemic have decided that their job isn't for them anymore and, and they kind of need to figure out what their new strengths are and and how to redirect and what that might say about their identity? Yeah, such a good question. So first and foremost, trust the instincts that you have about this and know that your work is not 100% your identity. Who you are is based on these character strengths. And if you're in a job right now and you realize that 
this is not something that I want to be doing. Like imagine yourself 10, 20 years from now. Is this what you want to be doing? Well, there's two choices. One, you can look at where you are and what are the opportunities within this company, within this field that you want to pursue. And it doesn't have to be just that you're stuck right now. So perhaps uh, I'm gonna use the example, my daughter's had studied acting since she was a little girl, singing, dancing, and originally it was performing. And then recently she's gotten into being a choreographer, a director, now she's a writer, now she's a lyricist, she's has, uh, written a musical, written a lot of things, she's, she's going into that area. So many people in a creative field may change. So they may, or within a company, you may start out in one area and you can shift. Sometimes though, you may decide, well, I've spent a long time building a career, perhaps it's been lucrative financially, perhaps not, and you feel like that's not your calling in life. We get this all the time at FMCA. We have so many people who decide that they want to become health coaches. They might be in a corporate job, they might be in healthcare, they're nurses, they're burned out, they're frustrated, and what excites them is their calling to serve others, to help others. And so they may start out doing that coaching on the side and then it morphs into something more full-time. So there, the, the bottom line is that if you look at the timeline as across your whole life and you say, well, here's a time where this is right and then it may change. So when I set out, that was late 60s and the options for women, you're a, a teacher, you could be a nurse or a secretary. Those were the big categories. And I chose to become a teacher. And that is my career has, has changed quite a bit. I was a teacher, I was then teaching teachers, then I was a clinical psychologist, now I'm CEO of FMCA. I had a brief stint that I, uh, for, for a while when I was trading commodities <laughs> at, the, at, the, uh, at the Mercantile Exchange in Chicago and uh, in the world of finance and decided, oh, that I don't like that world. And so I left quickly. Uh, and so that's, uh, so think of it that way as uh, where, where are you now? Might not be, you know, where you eventually are, but be open to those possibilities. And again, it's your strength that gets you there. So I always thought there was something wrong with me again, ADD, that I can't like be satisfied with just why can't I? You know, every else, everyone else I know has been a teacher for 50 years and then retired, and I like to move on and shift to something. So that's okay either way. Um, so I, I think this trusting yourself to pursue your passion. Sometimes you go back to things. And the other point I want to make about this is that the skills you acquire with each of these doesn't go, they don't go away and you keep utilizing them. So perhaps, uh, and I was talking to somebody she teaches for us in, in our business building track. She used to be a prima ballerina, danced solos. And she, many people in, in that field have a force to because of an injury shift. So she made the transition to a different area, corporate job. Now she leads workshops. And she said, I, 
focused on all the skills I had as a dancer. I had that self-regulation, all those hours of practice. I was able to be on stage and help out my fellow dancers that had that teamwork. So when I created a resume, I didn't say I was the, the I was in Swan Lake, I was the fifth swan. I said, I was able to take direction, you know, I took direction well and all those traits. So if you are in a, a position now and you're thinking, well, I don't have any other skills, you do. What are you bringing to your current role that could then, you could say, I can bring to another role in a different career? That's amazing advice. And that actually brings me to my next question. You mentioned coaching. And in addition to all your other strengths and your amazing career background, you are also a health and wellness coach. So can you share with our audience what exactly you do in this position and how coaching can be valuable to individuals who might seek it out? Sure. So I trained in, um, as a, a psychologist and health and wellness coaching comes from the branch of psychology we call humanistic psychotherapy. And that's the kind of training that I received. And then, so we were coaching. We didn't have, there was no field back then in the 80s called uh, coaching. It evolved at first, it was life coaching, executive coaching, and then health and wellness coaching. And um, I received training as a, a health coach, and then I put that all together with training that I had in positive psychology and functional medicine and founded the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. We train health coaches. What do they do? Well, very simply, if you think of a coach as like a picture a stage coach, a coach takes you from where you are to where you want to be, your destination. And that's what health coaches do. They help you change when change is hard and particularly focusing on the areas of physical as well as emotional health. Coaches are not therapists. They don't help you dig down into your past and, and answer that like, why do you think you acted that way? But more, okay, you're here now. What would you like to change? How can I support you? And then help you to move to your goals. They listen to you, they're your personal cheerleader. And they, what's so great now is that uh, this field is exploding. Coaches can work remotely, they can lead groups. And more and more the medical profession is waking up to the strong need for a health coach. And so we're seeing a lot of demand for health coaches. They are not doctors. They don't diagnose or prescribe. They're behavior change specialists and really are with you to make changes, to listen and make sure that you feel heard. They help you feel empowered to be the CEO of your own health, but often be the bridge to, between you and your doctor to help you to feel empowered to make sure that your health needs are being met. That's great. And I think a lot of people could probably utilize a cheerleader right now and a support system and someone who can kind of hang on and be there for them to, to carry through this pandemic and this really difficult time. But even before the pandemic and even after the pandemic is over, you know, mental health and physical health are something that we need to uh, prioritize and they're of utmost importance and they're things that we struggle with and, um, and can become challenging for us. So I think that 
having someone alongside you on that journey to then maybe take the advice that you get from your doctor and figure out ways to apply it and to figure out how to utilize your strengths, as you said, and, um, you know, focus less on your weaknesses. It sounds it, like it sounds like something that could be really, really useful during this time. And so as I, uh, as we just spoke about coaching, I would like to ask your opinion on therapy as many people are struggling during this time. And as I currently seek out my new therapist for the fourth time, I wanted to know what your position on therapy is and what you might recommend to someone who might be struggling. Sure. Well, I was a therapist for many years and I think that there, uh, the need to get support and also to often see uh, patterns in your behavior can be important. But first and foremost, and this is where there's often a gray area between coaching and psychotherapy. The main thing that I think uh, you want to be very aware of, let's say you're seeking a new therapist, you want to find somebody who is encouraging and not demoralizing who is not quick to give you a label to say to to have that narrow framework to say you are you are suffering from depression you are a depressed individual you have anxieties you're an anxiety disorder to pigeonhole you and not appreciate you as a, a whole human being who has those strengths and who has the ability to make significant changes. And so I would seek somebody who does have training in what a good approach would be a cognitive therapist. A cognitive therapist help you to look at your, your the words you say to yourself, the thought pattern. So I was fortunate to be trained by one of the fathers of of cognitive therapy, Albert Ellis, and to catch him, he was famous for coining that term catastrophizing, or you shouldn't, you must not should on yourself, the shoulds, the ought tos, the have, the must, or I'm horrible, you know, I'm, uh, why can't I do anything right, or jumping to illogical conclusions, I'm miserable now, I'll always be miserable, I can't do anything right, uh, and so, sorting through that type of thinking pattern to have a different conclusion to say, okay, I acted badly. And so I can, I can, I, I, it's not a tragedy. Uh, it, I won't remember this time in five years. What's the worst that will happen? There are many different questions that you can ask that will help you to come to a more reasonable conclusion. And so I would say that looking for somebody who might be uh, focusing on cognitive therapy, somebody who is encouraging you as opposed to telling you, oh, this is very serious. You need to be in therapy for the rest of your life. I've actually heard uh, therapists say that to potential clients or their clients where they come out just feeling like awful. You should come out of a therapy session feeling good. You shouldn't come out in tears, uh, just focus on the trauma. Um, we hear a lot, we hear so much about trauma these days and 
it is very important to acknowledge uh, trauma in your life. And you want to, at the same time, like a, almost like an automatic reflex, to focus on the strengths you had so that you are here. How did you survive the trauma? And pulling yourself back into the present. What can I do now? What's good now in my life? What can I change right now? And how do you get to the present? It's by focusing on your senses. What are you aware of? What can I see and hear and smell and touch and taste? And so as opposed to just reliving the past. And so I would, would look at that again. Therapy is really, I, I believe it, should, it needs to be solution focused, focused on what you can do now. It's not just going to have your session every week. And, uh, you know, what else can we say about your mother this week? You know, that's negative. So I hope that's helpful. Oh, it's, it's very helpful. And the solution-based therapy is so important. And I think that has some, been something that I've noticed differences between my past therapists. Um, I've had four different therapists so far. And I, you know, usually the reason that I've changed and switched therapists is because of geographical reasons or they've retired. My first three were absolutely wonderful, super, super helpful. And, and then the last therapist I had, I felt like I was spending a lot of time just venting and reliving situations uh, that caused me pain without finding any sort of solutions for coping or solutions for moving forward. And I think a lot of people that I've spoken with have had similar situations in therapy, but as their first experience, I was really lucky to have three really helpful, amazing therapists uh, early on in, in my experience with therapy to show me that therapy could be really monumental to recovery. It could be really monumental in moving forward. Um, and what would you say to those who try therapy and they have one therapy session or they have a, you know, a few therapy sessions or try out two different therapists and they don't like them, they feel like they don't click with them. And as a result, they kind of feel like, well, therapy isn't for me. I'm giving up for therapy. Therapy isn't going to help me recover. Yeah, so it would be just like um, trying one food and it doesn't agree with you and then saying, well, I'm going to give up food. Uh, but there's an important point I, I want to emphasize here, and it relates to a functional medicine approach, a holistic approach, because I was, as a psychologist for many years, most of my colleagues saw the mind and body as distinct not talking to one another. They might have had somebody in psychotherapy with them for 10 years, and not once did they talk about what they were eating, were they exercising, what kind of movement they had in their life, even their sleep. And so there are these lifestyle factors that can have a huge impact on brain functioning, on mental health. And my focus as a psychologist was always on mind-body. So I would teach people breathing techniques, relaxation, a change of posture. Can some, you, know, you, you, you stand up straight as opposed to bending over. All of a sudden, you're feeling more confident. And you focus on what you're eating. So for example, when you may, if you're eating a lot of sugar, 
for example. Well, that's causing inflammation. Depression is an inflammatory state. Perhaps you are not eating uh, foods rich in, in omega-3s. That could be contributing. Perhaps you have a magnesium deficiency. So working with a functional medicine doctor uh, or somebody who is a functional medicine coach who can connect you with that doctor to find out the root cause. And very often it is not that there is something psychologically wrong with you. Perhaps uh, you are eating too much fish and you have too much mercury in your system. Perhaps, as I said, with you don't have any at all, perhaps it's vitamin D is connected. So finding out the whole, the big picture. And uh, so it's the brain and the gut talk to one another. So if you have gut issues, well, that may be related to anxiety and depression as well. So it's really important to look at that. Exercise can be one of the best antidepressants. Now, if you're feeling down and you go out for a walk, get outside and move, you might find, oh, I'm feeling much better now. So I think it's really important. And again, that's the risk of just saying, I need to be in therapy because you're not looking at that big picture. It might be the solution is elsewhere. And in terms of, again, it's a physiological thing that could be going on. Absolutely. And we say at Mental Health Global Network, um, our company, you know, our mission is to help others prioritize mental health on the same level as physical health. That's the goal of this podcast as well. And our brain is the main console of our body. It controls so many different factors within us. So how could there be a disconnect between our mental state and our physical state? It's so important that we seek out all these options. And I think therapy can be very beneficial. I think coaching can be very beneficial. And I think my advice and, and, based off of what you just shared with me, the outlook and what I took away from there is it can be a process to figure out what's going to make us feel better, but it's going to be so worth it to do that. It's going to be so worth it to figure out the right solution, to do our research, and it can be hard. And so we should ask for help from those, you know, during those difficult times, like lean on our friends and family, lean on a coworker, find someone that, that you trust and ask them, can you help me figure this out? Can you find, help me find a coach or a therapist or someone that can support me during this time? Um, and so I just think that persevering and the endurance of, of our doubts and our pain, um, it's really challenging, but it can be so worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it's a holistic approach. You have support. It's like you have a whole team. You are the CEO of your health and you have a team. And that is uh, people who are working um, to support you. And if you have somebody on your team that might not be working, then you find the other another solution. But often when you address these underlying factors that are, you know, what are you eating? How, how's your sleep every night? And are you moving and having joy? Do you have meaning and purpose in your life? And a therapist, as coach, uh, can be your guide and also being connected to a community where you really feel like that you are part of something, that you are not isolated and alone. 
Absolutely. So it's been so wonderful talking to you today. And before we finish up, I would love for you to tell our audience, how can they get connected to coaching? Um, you have a coaching business. How can they find, you know, your resources? How can they get in touch with you or your business and to be able to utilize what you have to offer? It's functionalmedicinecoaching.org. We actually have a directory, find a coach, or if you want to become a coach, many people uh, come to coaching because they've been there themselves and they often make the best coaches. Now they want to give back. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. Sandy, S-A-N-D-I, or at FXFX Med Coach, our Functional Medicine Coaching Academy Facebook page is just that. So uh, it's been a, such a pleasure to be talking with you. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody has the opportunity to check out that website that she just dropped. And Dr. Scheinbaum, thank you so much for being here today. It's been wonderful. And I look forward to connecting in the future. Oh, thank you. Okay, let's see.